Accounting Influencers Broadcast Network presents Success in Accounting. Sponsored by Dext. With Rob Brown and Martin Bissett. of the Accounting Influencers Broadcast Network, Rob Brown here. We are starting a series of interviews with strong female leaders in the accounting profession and the fintech world. So over the next few weeks, we will be showcasing strong female and minority voices come to that to explain what is going on with the diversity, equity, inclusion, accessibility agenda, and getting the voices of people that are not significantly represented in the accounting profession, finding out what's going on from their perspective, finding out what needs to change in the accounting world and what is working well. So enjoy today's interview with Francesca Lagerberg. She is the CEO of Bocatilli International, hugely passionate woman, very experienced, got a lot to say about what is going on in the accounting world and well worth a listen. Enjoy. Welcome to this special edition of the Influencers in Accounting podcast. On behalf of the Accounting Influencers Broadcast Network, Going out to 3 million people all over the world in the accounting profession, we have a special leadership guest today. It's Francesca Lagerberg, CEO of Baker Tilly Global. Hello to you. Hello. Good to see you, Rob. It's great to have you on, and it's wonderful to have strong female voices in the profession. I'm going to start right out of the gate, Francesca, to ask you, what kind of shape do you feel the accounting profession is in right now? I think it is as volatile as the economy is. That's a good I think word, Because it, it's, it's, got, it's got a little bit of a challenge ahead of it, as you've got lots of consolidation and disentanglement going on in the network. You see different firms all over the world, both joining networks and leaving networks, and you also see a lot of firms looking to see if the shape of the profession needs to alter. So lots happening. And I think that's wholly reflective of a post-pandemic world where there's lots of volatility in everything that we do. So no surprise to see our sectors as impacted as everybody else. Of course. And uh, I said, and I hope it didn't come over as condescending with a strong female voice, because traditionally the accounting profession is very male heavy, isn't it? It's male dominated. Well, what's been really interesting over the last few years is that the intake in the accounting profession is roughly 50-50 male, female, but it's at that senior level where there still is far fewer women, but also far fewer of a more diverse nature sitting at that senior leadership role. So you'd like to hope in the next few years, we'll see that beginning to shift. Yeah, you bring up an interesting point. We've had a couple of fascinating guests on the show recently. One was uh, Herschel Frierson. He is the head of the National Association of Black Accountants in North America. And we've also had uh, Aaron Lewis. He is an academic that deals with uh, accountants and the lack of diversity in accounting. And both of them are saying that when we came into this, there was nobody like me. There was nobody I could look up to and look into. So you and your role right now, do you feel any responsibility or burden in that respect to blaze a trail? Yeah, I think there's a huge responsibility on anybody who's um, in a leadership role to help make the world a better place than the one that they entered into. Uh, certainly from my perspective, when I started off in accounting, I, I think you could have mentioned the number of female partners in the firm that I was in on, on one hand, uh, never mind role models and board levels. And it was a, a bit of a, a bit of a poor show, really, in terms of the diversity spectrum. So something shifted. There has been a movement, but it's not a done deal. I mean, if you look at things like gender pay gaps, there's a lot of research to suggest we're 70 or 80 years away from that being resolved. But just that broader diversity piece 
we all know that a business is going to be better if it's got different voices. It's not an echo chamber. It's got different kinds of thinking. So hugely important for all businesses to do that. But also, if you're out there dealing with clients, which, of course, those of us in professional services are, you need to look and feel like your clients and your clients uh, really need somebody that they can look at and go, that they, yeah, they, they get us, they like us, they look a bit more like us. So if you're all very similar and the clients you're going after are not like that, you're automatically at a commercial disadvantage. Never mind the reality, you're probably going to be a better place for being more inclusive and more diverse. So th there's a way to go, but you have to start somewhere. And at least it's a conversation these days where you go back 10 years, it wasn't even a conversation. So, so there's something that, in positive that's happening. You mentioned going back 10 years. Let's go back a little bit further to Francesca, the 15, 16 year old uh, bright, skilled pupil. What did you plan for your life at that point, Francesca? At 15 or 16, definitely not being an accountant. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I had this desire to travel, a real desire to travel. So um, I did what I think most people of my generation did, was try and get as educated as I could and take what opportunities I had. And I, I grew up in the West Midlands, which at, at that stage was, was struggling as a, a place to get work. Um, so I got myself to university uh, moved to the big smoke that was London, uh, but I was desperate to travel. So I went off and did a gap year and that was my real aim. And the only way I could fund my gap year was to get a job uh, that I could come back to. And uh, the only job that was going in the, gosh, showing my age, late 80s, uh, was accounting. So that was the amount of thought I put into entering into the accounting profession was that it was a good solid job and it would help pay for my travel. Uh, and they very kindly took me on. And they gave me a one year deferral before I had to start. And off I went, traveling around the world, most extraordinary 12 months of my life. And, and back I came into accounting thinking, oh, I'll do it, for, do it for a couple of years, pay off my debts. And here I am, nearly 30 years later, uh, which just goes to show you, 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 you never quite know what the world's going to throw at you. You really don't. And uh, I talked to a few cab drivers, as probably you do with all your travels, and you said to them, how long have you been doing this? And they said, well, 30 years. But I only just came into it by accident and I thought I'll do a couple of months just to tide me over and they end up staying there so how ambitious were you once you got a handle on accounting as a career to rise up through the ranks well I suppose I was, I was ambitious to keep um, some kind of momentum whether I really thought about what that end game might be I'm not sure I did I'd love to say I was super focused and had this incredible intent but I don't think that would be true um i began to work out quite early on what I really didn't like doing. So I, so I took a lot of secondments uh, in the hope I could find the, the niche that was going to suit me. Uh, and that was the best thing I could have done at that stage, because I'm not sure any of us know in our 20s exactly what we want to do. So I tried quite a few things and then realised I, I, I liked to do things that involved writing and talking. Uh, I really bizarrely got into tax and found I really liked it. So my early career was very much tax orientated and then it moved on from there but I think as I've got uh, a little bit older I've realized that what I really like doing is helping things to grow I like to get stuff done I like to see things uh, growing and improving and and making things a little bit better than what you took on and and that's what I've been doing for the last few years working with teams that help people to grow you've got an entrepreneurial streak in you haven't you there is a little touch of that in me. I think uh, a lot of accountants have got that. What attracted you to the role of CEO and, and to Baker Tilly, Francesca? Um, well, the role of CEO is something that I'd, uh, I'd done a lot of leadership roles in the C-suite. 
really enjoyed them. But the one I hadn't done was the CEO role. And I was, I sort of thought, you know, I think I've got one more role in me, maybe two, but definitely one. I wouldn't, you know, I think I've got the experience now to, to have a good stab at it. And, and the role in Baker Tilly, I, I just think it's an ambitious network. I think it's a, a network that's got things to offer. It's got scope and opportunity. It's large enough to be interesting, but small enough for people to really care. And that appeals to me. And I've worked in organisations like it before. Um, and I really think there's a buzz about an organisation that's able to go somewhere. It's not so big that everything's done. And it's not so small that you really struggle to get things done. So I like that middle area. And I think it's got, I think it's still got that personal touch where you can actually get to know people around the network in a in a way that helps you deliver a much better service to clients. Is it a place where you can innovate and bring a new vision to the table or are you a safe pair of hands to continue the good work that was already going on? Oh, I'd, I'd love to hope it's a bit of both because there was some really good stuff. You know, I'm, I'm not walking into a it, into an area where it, there's nothing there. It's not a brownfield site. It's not all rubble and you're building from, <laughs> from, building from the start. There's some really good infrastructure already in place. But yes, I think there is real scope to innovate. We've got a, a global strategy that's just been brought in. So that's the first really cohesive strategy for the whole network that we've had. And there's a lot to do. Um, again, that's exciting. There's lots of things that uh, can happen, will happen. And I've just, I've just come back from Paraguay where we had our LATAM conference and, and we're all still buzzing a bit from being together and talking about what can happen in that part of the world. And I think it's when you're with people, you get that sense of, is it an, is it an organization that really wants to go somewhere or is it sort of happy where it's at? And I get the sense it's an organisation that's keen to move forward. In your role, how long have you been there now? Oh, I've been there all of seven weeks. So obviously com completely nailed every aspect of the job, Rob. Of course. <laughs> so you're still in your first 100 days. A big part of a role like this is getting out and about, having those conversations, town halls, if it, whatever you want to call it. So uh, what are your plans for making you and your plans known throughout the key people in the network. Well, you're absolutely right. It's all about getting out there and meeting people. And good for travel, stages. which you enjoy. Yeah, good for travel. <laughs> that passport will be dusted off and used a lot. Um, that, lots and lots of meetings taking place. And thankfully, post-COVID, you can do those face-to-face. -face. So I've already met uh, a lot of the European, Middle East and African firms. We all got together in Lisbon, really great event uh, where we pulled the, the sort of senior leaders there together. Um, we've had meetings in Italy for our legal uh, service line, which is very strong in our network. And um, as I mentioned, we've just been in Paraguay for our LATAM event, 100 of us. Uh, talking about the future and doing some dancing. Uh, you know, they, they, they love a dance. So we had a lot of dancing too. Uh, and then I've got uh, a, another couple of meetings coming up. Big one in APAC, get the chance to meet the key firms there. And last but not least, we've got a world conference in Paris in October. So lots of, sort of what I'd call events where you've got multiple people together, but there's quite a few additional meetings where I'm getting to talk to some of our larger firms, key stakeholders, really important firms within a region who help provide some of the drive within that particular area. So lots of meetings, lots of, um, hopefully lots of listening, because the best thing that I can do at this stage is really get my head around, uh, how does this network differentiate from others? Where's its levers? How does it uh, have the opportunities to grow? That's a good point, because if you want to grow, you've got to offer something a little bit better, a little bit different. You've got to set yourself apart. And presumably there are some areas of the world that you need to focus on with growth more than others. Undoubtedly. I mean, you, 
you, you can do a trawl around the world and there's no one part of the world that's the most important. I mean, clearly APAC is by far and away the biggest growth engine uh, still, but there's lots of hot spots around the world where you need to be strong. Now, for example, in Europe, of course you have to be strong in Germany uh, and many other parts of Europe too. You know, and Africa has its hot spots, as does all of America. So a uh, massively important that you really get to understand where you're really good, where you could be even better, and where perhaps you, you your clients are going, oh, I, I, I want to see more in that region or in that country and what you can do about that to help the network keep improving. Talk to us a bit about your leadership style, Francesca. We talk to a lot of leaders on this show and some are agitators and disruptors, <laughs> some are handholders and comforters and arm around the shoulders. How would you describe your strengths in leadership? Well, I, I, I love the analogy that, that you see used around uh, what you do with a horse. You know, a horse is a very, very intelligent creature. And you can lead a horse in many ways. You can lead it from the front, so almost pulling it along behind you. You can lead from behind, which is all giving a bit of a kick up the backside, or you can lead from alongside it. And you have to do a little bit of all three from time to time. But I tend to feel uh, my, my core strength is leading alongside. You're there, you're supportive, you're giving it a, a sort of uh, advice and direction as needed, but it's a coaching style. And that's undoubtedly the kind of leadership that I, I want to aspire to, more of a coaching role. But and now and again, you have to do a little bit of everything, uh, depending on what the issue is. And I guess you don't get to a, a huge role like you're in now without being coachable yourself. Oh, I've had coaching for years. Um, I, I'm, a, I'm a qualified coach as well. So that's been a hugely helpful uh, piece of instruction that I've received. But yes, I've benefited from some amazing coaches and also some really good mentors who've been a very different kind of, of piece they're just you know looking out for you providing some sensible sponsorship but also really challenging you know what have you thought about this what about these areas and I've massively benefited and would encourage anybody who is interested in in progressing in their career wherever they want it to take them to look into coaching and mentorship. And has there been a, a piece of advice that stood you in good stead over the years that's perhaps become a mantra that's been passed down to you through one of these advocates or champions you've had in your life? Yeah, I think there's been loads, actually. I mean, ones that really stand out have been um, it, say say yes to things that are going to challenge you. Just don't say but don't say yes to everything because you can end up chasing your tail and just being um, becoming sort of the uh, the doormat that does absolutely everything. But but really think carefully if you're saying no about something because you're challenged by it, because you're worried about it. Have a little think about that. Is it is it because you're scared? Scared's good, but scared can also be really invigorating if you embrace it. And I think that's probably been uh, particularly for a woman coming in to a very male orientated profession uh, when I started out, it was quite easy to go, oh, I'm not quite sure if I'm good enough for that. I'm not quite sure if I'm ready to take that challenge on. And I've been lucky enough to have people who've really encouraged me to, to give it a go. I mean, what's the worst that's going to happen? You know, you're, you're not, you're, no one's going to die, hopefully. Uh, <laughs> so why not give it a go? But one of the challenges you are taking on is working with the regulators. I know you're very passionate to improve standards and frameworks in accounting. Talk to us a little bit about that. Well, I think we have a responsibility to our profession to make sure that we're giving something back, be that uh, on the simplest level of just adding into consultations through to engaging well with regulators, wherever they might be. And, and we have a responsibility ultimately to our clients to create an environment where they can thrive and prosper 
and that regulations are there to be both helpful and protective, but also not so draining that business grinds to a halt. So really important to have that engagement. And I'll be looking to make sure that we're as engaged as, as we should be in playing our part in the profession, because it's hugely important that if you, if you, it's no good sitting back and moaning about things, you, you should participate and try and make things better. Mm. Well, audit's under huge scrutiny at the moment, isn't it? It is. I mean, and in some ways it's an easy target because it perhaps gets the headlines, but it's uh, it, it's a vital part of our business environment to have good, strong audit. Um, and as you can see, the regulators, of course, have brought in a huge raft of different rules and, and clearly uh, many, many firms have had to take a step back, really think about what they're doing. And, and it's always encouraging to see countries where you've had very poor audit reports and then it's progressively improved. So you can see firms taking it seriously, trying to make things better and, and taking on board the challenge. You know, we, we are responsible for the work that we do for our clients and we have to meet the standards and the standards should keep improving. Mm. And multidisciplinary firms are a, a hot topic at the moment. We're trying to put clients at the centre of everything at the moment, delivering what we need, making good on our promises to them. Uh, talk to us about the future of professional firms like Piccadilly. Well, in terms of multidisciplinary, I mean, I, I'm of the mind that most of the larger accounting firms will stay multidisciplinary for all the advantages it gives. You know, you've got you've got a range of different abilities and skills. You've clearly got regulation that prevents you offering multiple services when you're doing the audit, and, and those, of course, have to be adhered to. But you have the advantage of that cross-pollination of thinking, of thought, around how you can service a client really effectively, not around an individual client, but around that whole client experience. Now, obviously, you've got a couple of the largest of the large firms looking to see if they should split off, put audit in a separate box. Um, a lot of that is around conflicts and their inability to win some very lucrative work because of the restrictions that have been placed on them uh, by the regulators and around standard setting. Um, and they are dealing with enormous jobs where that might make commercial sense. But for most accounting uh, practices, there isn't that same volume of conflict or there's a very good niche that can be carved out that makes sure that those conflicts aren't a problem for the organisation. So I still think multidisciplinary is going to be the most common way forward. But it'd be fascinating to see how the profession continues to, to evolve. And there's some real challenges for those who are looking to do the carve-outs. How do you do it? How do you make it work? Um, how do you continue to service clients effectively? So um, a lot of, uh, lot of discussion, I think, will need to happen before any of that takes place. But for most of the accounting profession, that at the moment isn't the most important thing. And there's a huge amount of consolidation going on, a lot of mergers, acquisitions in the network space, in firms themselves. And it seems that looking at some of the big mergers in the US, that nobody's too big to jump into bed with somebody else. Talk to us about uh, what's happening in that space from what you can see. Well, there's a massive amount of change. And, and, you know, we've been talking a lot around uh, people moving post-pandemic, the, the great resignation, uh, as it's often referred to, or someone described it beautifully the other day, is the great reshuffle, because uh, people are moving around from one organisation to another, because they kind of go, well, I've sort of seen that. I'd quite like to try something different. There's a recalibration, isn't there? Definitely a recalibration. That's a nice way of describing it. Um, and I think that's what's going on in the accounting profession. It's recalibrating because you've got uh, some people are looking at their own uh, position. Is that right for them? Has their client base slightly shifted? Do they want it to shift? And they think they need to be part of something else. Do they need to be bigger? 
that's often a driver or actually have they become part of something so big it no longer feels like home they, they don't feel they can offer the same level of service and they may be being dictated to from afar or it may be that they just it just doesn't feel right anymore it felt great five years ago ten years ago but today isn't where we want to be at and I think that's what's going on you've got a big reshuffle happening within the accounting profession and for some that will mean that they will feel the need to move and get a different experience and, and that, that is very much um, a cyclical you do tend to find these things happen uh, at certain stages where you'll get a lot of it and then less and then a lot again and I think we're in the middle of one of those big movements yeah, so we run a number of shows here at the Accounting Influencers Broadcast Network. Our Tuesday show is called Insights in Accounting. We've done some reports recently on whether accountancy as a profession has an image problem. We know there are more people leaving, dying, retiring than are coming in potentially to the profession. We also talked about uh, an evaporation from accountants in practice, perhaps going into industry, going into commerce, doing something else with their accounting qualification I know you're very proud of the profession, but would you say to any degree that it has an image problem? Um, that's a really interesting question because I think accounting is so broad. Is it is it accounting itself got an image problem or is it aspects of accounting? Um, is it is it uh, gosh, I don't want to pick too much on any one service line, but uh, is auditing sounding less attractive? because of the fact all the news about it is quite negative, is a funky advisory role, though still quite intriguing <laughs> to somebody. So I, I suspect it is quite diverse. I have to say, um, having spent a very long time telling one of my sons, oh, don't become an accountant. There's many other opportunities for you. Uh, he's he's opted to become a tax accountant like me. So <laughs> there's still, <laughs> which probably just goes to prove my son doesn't listen to me. Uh, but I think there is still great opportunity. For a start off, there's jobs. There's jobs, there's roles, they've got a progression, there's a career structure, there's a qualification. It's quite movable, it's quite flexible. You can do stuff with accounting. You don't have to sit behind your desk all your life doing one singular job. You can move within it. The qualification still has a resonance. Um, you are able to get decent money. Um, if, you, if you stay within the accounting profession, it's quite a well-paid profession. Uh, so there's a lot of positives about it. But probably the most attractive thing is many of the accounting uh, profession elements are about people because it's a people business. So if you want to work in, in organisations that care about diversity, equality, inclusion, sustainability, a lot of the accounting profession is, is really at a, maybe it's not cutting edge, maybe that's not accounting's role, but it's very solidly embracing some of the things that the next generation are very, very interested in. Uh, perhaps more so than some other professions. So there's a lot of positivity, positivity about that. And I think this image problem is perhaps reflective of just elements of, of accounting. Because if I look back over my career, I've done multiple jobs within the accounting profession that I'm not sure many other professions would have allowed me to do. You know, that real range, that ability to change your job uh, in quite a dramatic way, but still be within a sector. So, so I think it still has a lot of attraction uh, if people are willing to scrape through the surface of the media coverage and, and see what's beneath it. Indeed. And CEO of Baker Tilly, it's not a small role. It's a massive undertaking. What are you most proud of in getting to this point? Oh, I, I do. I do feel very privileged to have the chance. I also feel um, it's really important to take the accountability element of that. Um, it's my job to leave it in a better place than it was when I came in. It was a good place when I started, but it's my job to take it onto the next level. Um, 
I feel re really privileged to work in a, an organization of just under 40,000 people who are doing good things for clients. I mean, who wouldn't want to have that opportunity? And if I can help push it forward and help get things done during my time, I'll be very, very pleased with that. Indeed. And uh, we spoke a little bit about diversity. Our paths crossed in person at the recent International Accounting Forum and Awards run by the International Accounting Bulletin. You were speaking there and doing a session on uh, championing women in professional services. Do you want to just give us a little overview of that talk for people that were not there, Francesca? For sure, for sure. I, I mean, it was a great opportunity. So I was talking about the just the reality check of why you need to embrace diversity, equality and inclusion, why you need to make sure you've got diversity of thinking, particularly at the senior level. However, why should become a bit of an echo chamber? If you all look the same, sound the same, talk the same, are you really getting the most potential out of your, your workforce? Um, and as I mentioned earlier, if you've got 50% gender equality coming in, but your board still looks very much like it's come from one side of the spectrum, something's not going quite right. So what can you do to change that? But it is a much broader piece around that everything suggests that if you do embrace diversity in all its guises, the chances are you'll be more successful, you'll be more profitable. Uh, it might be correlation rather than causation, but it's there. But most importantly, uh, you're giving everybody the chance to reach their full potential. What, whatever they may have started, you're giving them that opportunity. And, and who wouldn't want to be an organisation that embraced that? And, and as I mentioned again earlier on, from a client perspective, that they don't all look exactly the same and they might not look exactly like you do so how are you making sure that you understanding them empathizing getting making sure that the the offerings that you have are really resonating and providing them with the services that they're looking for and and you need diversity to enable you to do that love that as an example apparently the average age of an accounting partner here in the uk at least is 53 but the average age of a business owner is 31 I so. heard that, which kind of immediately you uh, for sadly someone who's nearer the latter rather than the former. Um, you've got to, uh, you, you, you look at that and you go, well, the, your mindset in your 30s and your mindset in your 50s are different. You, I mean, grey hair might bring experience and, and often does, but actually you really understanding what's going on and you need to have that balance. You need to be able to bring uh, many elements to it. And it's vitally important that we embrace what our workforce brings with it so if our, you know, our people are our greatest asset so why would you want to put them into a box and treat them as though they weren't real humans <laughs> a couple more questions Francesca this is excellent uh, I'm going to give you a promotion I'm going to put a promotion on the table to you so let's say I'm interviewing you for the role of global czar <laughs> overlord of the accounting profession on the whole planet so you now have this much bigger role with respect <laughs> And you're in charge of everything. What might be one or two of the things on your agenda for the profession worldwide? Oh, Rob, Rob, if only you could offer me that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, you seem like you've got an answer for everything, which is wonderful. <laughs> you're not phased by it too much. Well, well, I, I might be phased by that one. Um, I suppose right at the, the forefront is going to be um, is, is trust and integrity. Because if you're going to be really successful in the accounting profession and, and, and you'd like to hope that everybody has that opportunity, um, what do clients really want? Can we trust them? Are they actually going to do the right thing? Are they ethical? 
So trust and integrity at the forefront of everything the accounting profession does. So, you know, no, there's no room here for people who are looking to unfairly bend the rules or operate in a way that's all about the money, but not about the service. Hugely important. So that would be right up there. Uh, and then a, a bit, a little bit of a focus around you know, standards, hugely important to keep the standards uh, constantly improving to meet the challenges of the future. But I do feel that the accounting profession has something a little bit special that we should really value, but also continue to promote is that we do on the whole employ a lot of people. The accounting profession employs huge volumes of people, often uh, in their 20s and 30s. So how are we creating an environment where we're creating the future from that group of people. So we're making sure that we're doing the things that we should be doing for, for the good of our clients, for the good of our planet, and for the goods of the community around us. So if we have that kind of focus, it's, it's ESG, but in a very practical way, are we being responsible in what we do? And are we providing some value? Because absolutely serve our clients, absolutely provide great development opportunities for the people within the profession, but also are we giving value to the communities around us by the way that we operate? And that's massive for our profession. Indeed, I love that. You're hired, you start on Monday. <laughs> I'm looking forward to the contract. Final question for you, Francesca. What do you feel the accountants coming up through the profession need by way of skills and knowledge beyond their technical qualifications to stay relevant and competitive and open up their career options? Oh, that's such a good question. I've just been reading a book by Marcus Buckingham, who I do rather, oh, yeah, I rather like. It's, yeah, it's really good, isn't he? He's done something called Love Plus Work. And he does quite a nice uh, piece around, do we actually teach people the skills they need in life? Do we teach them how to be the very best that they can be and how they bring their own uniqueness to the role? And, and I think there's something there about not worrying too much about your weaknesses. We've all got them. Um, but not worrying too much, being good enough, but really concentrating on what have you got that's special. Because if I if I think about the teams I've worked in, very often the person who's made all the difference in the team is not the person who's got the best, wonderful academic achievements, but they've got a skill. It might be a singular skill, it might be a range of skills, but they've got a skill that really adds value in the team. And I think there's something hugely important about people taking a little bit of time to understand not sometimes it's referred to as your superpower, but it always sounds a little bit like a Marvel movie. I, I think it's just about knowing what you're really good at and actually making sure that you recognize for it. So I think in terms of how we can continue to evolve people, um, it, it is about connectivity. It is about bringing human ability alongside technological uh, enablers. And I think if we create people who are able to bring their humanity into the uh, incredible technical world that we live in, and the, the IT technology that we have to know, but keeping that humanity, we've done something very good. Good time to be an accountant. Oh, it's always a good time to be an accountant. You always need accountants. <laughs> <laughs> well, Francesca Lagerberg, CEO of Becatilla, that's been terrific. Thank you so much for your time, your passion and your insights. Oh, bless you, Rob. Thank you very much for asking me. Improve your practice while decreasing how hard you work, hard you work. to make your firm really fly. Really fly. Sponsored by Dext.